As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game. I'm Gabriel Marcotti with a football podcast from The Times where Premier League fans can get every goal, every game, everywhere. A reminder that we're going on the road. And Rory K. Smith will be joining me as well. We're excited. We're going up to Birmingham on the 25th of October. Then we'll be heading to Newcastle. Tony, are you joining us in Newcastle? I believe I am in Birmingham. On Birmingham? But but there is an injunction forbidding me to go to Newcastle. Oh, that's still in effect, isn't it? It's still in effect. It's an old story involving, of course, uh, Mike Ashley, Sir Freddie Shepard, and houses of ill repute. So we won't go there. To book, you can visit www to.ctickets.com slash the times or you can call a real live human being at 0871 620 4025 that's 0871 620 4025 remember to tell them I sent you when you call back to the present and a welcome to my guest for today it's Tony Evans making his first appearance of the season it's Rory K. Smith and from beautiful downtown Rippenden perhaps from his conservatory perhaps with a cup of tea it's Ollie K. All right, let's get started at Anfield. It's Liverpool. It's Crystal Palace. Liverpool are joint top of the table. Tony, you're on. It's appropriate to ask you, did you see this coming? Well, yeah, when you looked at the fixtures, you could see it was a relatively easy run. Um, Manchester United? Yeah, well, you know, it's um, they, they changed the manager and they haven't exactly upgraded. Um, no, it, it's not, not been a difficult start to the season, but they've done what they needed to do. They've taken the points. Um, you know, you, you could argue that they dropped points they'll regret against Southampton. But for the most part, they've played... They played okay. Um, Suarez is back. Uh, Sturridge is flying. Um, still not sure about the balance of the midfield. And still not sure that Rodgers has got the squads he needs to compete to, to for the title. But, yeah, it's, it's better than it could be. Ollie, let, let's talk about this because for a long time there was this mantra, um, perhaps an unfair one, but probably an apt one, that... So many teams in England all played the same and British managers wouldn't change formation and players in England weren't adaptable to different schemes and different systems. Um, now you've got, you can call it a 3-4-3, a 3-4-1-2, whatever you think is more apt. Um, this is different. It's unusual. He's done it on the fly. Uh, should we be giving props to Rogers for having the tactical cojones to go and uh, do something like this? Um, I think so. I, th- I, th- I think he deserves credit for a lot of what he's doing. I, th- I think he's doing a, a really decent job with what I, I don't regard as a, as a title-challenging squad or team at all. I, th- I think I think if they've if, if they're sort of if they're in a position to be challenging in a in a, in a few weeks' time, I mean, I, I would say that they will have done extremely well because he's not a great team, and he's he's found a balance with this team which seems to be working well I don't, I don't think they've produced a single great 90 minute performance by, by any means this season but they're doing well the, the, the 3-4-3 seems to suit them I think it plays the strengths of, of the central defenders I think when Johnson comes back it will suit them more um, 
and it seems to, to, to suit the front players. I, I'm just not, never quite sure about the balance in midfield. I, I don't think they've found yet found a, uh, the ideal combination with Gerard. But I, but I think um, I think from Rogers' point of view, yeah, he's come up with something that suits them. Well, I think you know you've got a lot of them where he was this time last year. You know they were winning the pass and they had this inflexible system. And I think I think he's grown in the course of a year. Plus he's got a squad that's not necessarily his choice. He wanted a number ten during the summer, and you know the What's uh, wrong with Coutinho? Where uh, he's injured, um, he'll be back. The, the, well, he looks very frail to me, and whether he will be frequently injured is a good question. But he wanted number ten and the. Transfer committee got him a load of centre earths. I mean, a mini bus full of centre earths. You know, it's more centre earths than a football club should have. So he's 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 doing well. But where he's got you, you've got you've got to praise him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they need a number ten. So much of the problems. I think they do have Coutinho who can play there. There's a couple of players you could drop into that position, and Coutinho and, and Johnson when they come back will will make that system look a lot better. It, to be honest, I saw them at Sunderland. I've only seen highlights of the Palace game. Saw them at Sunderland, and it wasn't a particularly popular opinion when expressed publicly. But I thought the the front two worked fine. Moses did okay in a number ten role that doesn't suit him. The defence was all right, but the, there's just this vast space in midfield, and they look really unbalanced in midfield. They didn't play well at Sunderland. I mean, they, as Ollie said, they haven't played well for long. Uh, periods of the games but if, if you're not playing well and winning that's a good it's thing not, well it is a good thing to a point it's not a, it's not ideal not ever to play well that's not good it's good if you can not play well and win but at some point if you're not playing well you'll stop winning that's the, only, the only good thing is winning that thus spake uh, Jose Mourinho but the, the, the other thing I would say with, with Liverpool is that it, that central midfield is a problem I think it, so. it is an unbalanced squad I don't understand why they've got I think they've got they've got seven senior centre-backs if you count Elori as a I've told you it's a mini-boss full of it's yields, remarkable uh, there's thousands well, of them but there. they didn't let Sturtle go does Napoli Napoli were in for Sturtle and made them a loan offer and Rogers said to Sturtle initially in the summer you can't go then said you can go and then signed two centre-backs and said no you can't go it's bizarre that, that's because I get uh, was supposed to be going to Barcelona but the thing is, you know, again, everyone says, you know, and, and then Rogers signed. Rogers, Rogers doesn't sign. The transfer committee does it. And, you know, it's not necessarily giving the manager what he wants, but he's doing well with it. I'd, quite, you, I'd quite like to see Liverpool play a, a, a true of 3 4 3, to be perfectly honest, rather than what than the 3 4 1 2. I think when Tutinia comes back, if, if you have an actual sort of front line of three that might suit them a little bit better Ollie uh, I want to get your take on this uh, transfer committee uh, can you just explain a little bit what the thinking is and is the idea part of the idea to avoid future Joe Allen situations or Fabio Barini well, for that more than that to avoid or, or future Andy Carroll situations mm-hmm. or, or, I mean L- L- Liverpool Issue. going back over the course of well, you could say Sorry, but Brendan Rodgers wasn't the wasn't the manager who signed Andy Carroll, right? No, no. So Brendan Rodgers was no. the manager who let him go out on loan without having a striker. Oh, that's, right. that's the issue. It's it's not about it's not about the, 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 it's not about the previous regime. It's about this regime. Uh, Ollie, I, you, I would say committees. I would say it's about the. I would say it's about the situation that they inherited, where where there was a you know this ownership inherited, where they realised very quickly that there was a that this club recruited very badly um, and was wasting an awful lot of money on 
wages on transfer fees and, and, and was doing things very badly. They then appointed um, Camoli, who, who seemed to find a different way of doing things badly. And, you know, and since Rogers arrived, I mean, they've, they've overspent on Joe Allen, they've, Barini didn't work. And I think, I think they're just trying to find different ways of not making it work. Um, but to be fair to them, Sturridge has been, has, has, has been, a, has been a great signing. Coutinho looks like a very good signing. Um, this transfer committee is far from perfect, very clearly, but it's, um, I would say they've probably signed more good players over the past two transfer windows than, um, than most clubs in the league, certainly. And I, I think they've, they've come out the last two transfer windows stronger, but I, I thought they should have done more and more varied uh, business in, in the summer I, I agree completely with that in that I think they needed a midfielder they looked short in midfield and I think mm. that's that's the big miss I, and I, as I say I think it's strange that they didn't sign at least one fewer central defender I don't I'm surprised that three of Britain's foremost football thinkers you Gab Kay and Evans are being so kind of recidivist about transfer committees every club has an equivalent it's just that Liverpool have made the mistake of giving it a, giving it a name which pe- means people have got mm. a stick to beat it with every club has something like this a technical director a chief scout a manager they get together and they distrust targets they um, do they do but one of the, the, the interesting thing about Liverpool is in most of these cases the manager has the final say and the manager has the, the most influence that is not the case at Liverpool and I don't think it should be I, the case I think that, that's an incredibly short termist way of looking at things it I, might well be but it's very unusual in, in the game over here. Um, I said thank you, Roy, for putting words in my mouth um, because uh, I was just asking questions about the transfer committee. I wasn't suggesting. How that, do you feel about that, the transfer uh, committee, Gab? Well, I'm I'm just a presenter. I don't have any opinions. But <laughs> since you gave me the idea to put words in people's mouths, um, you, you take on Crystal Palace because when I look at this, I see some really poor players who punch above their weight, I think. Um, you know, People like, oh, Jedinak, he's such an elegant passer, but the guy doesn't really move uh, more than five yards in either direction. And, and yet, he still manages to be uh, effective. I, I, I saw that weird sequence with Jimmy Kebe, and I kind of wondered, like, this guy's a Premier League player? Um, is Ollie... Does Ollie tell me? Does Ollie belong at this level? Is is there a broader message here that actually, even if you if you don't have a great squad, you can compete? Well, it, it's it's a bit of a mishmash of uh, it's, it's it's a real you know a bit of a motley crew if you if you look at, the, at their at their squad their, their their team it's it's a combination of players who did well for them in the championship last season players who have been signed from other clubs who have been relegated and and you know people like Shamak and Kevin Phillips I, I, I don't think it's uh, it, it all looks rather thrown together and I think that's often what happens when teams come in, come up in the playoffs and they don't know quite how much money they've got to spend and they the, the a little bit further behind in terms of trying to do their business in the summer so you look at that squad that is not a squad that looks destined to stay up but then neither did the um, the Blackpool team that Holloway took up and they, they came extremely close with something like 39 points and, and he seems to find a way of, of making um, not especially gifted teams work um, at the moment, they've only got three points. They've lost six out of seven, and, and they look like they are relegation fodder. But there, there, there seems to be something in pretty much every match I see from Palace that makes me think they're not going to be sort of Derby County circa 2007. They are going to win games at some stage. They are going to make a fight of it, and, and they are going to at least 
go down fighting if that's what it takes but you look at that squad it is nothing like um, as good as perhaps 19 others in the, in the, in the Premier League but what's interesting is obviously Palace are one of the teams that, that try to play. West Brom are a side that, on the other hand, you can debate how much they try to play, but um, they obviously have a knack for doing well against bigger teams. And Tony, um, against Arsenal, praise to the hilt now because it's their flavor of the month, um, West Brom should have won that game, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, they're playing well. I, I mean, they did the business late in the transfer window, and you did throughout uh, August. You looked at them and you thought they're going to have problems, but um, but they've got themselves sorted. They they, they press really well. Um, and they play a style of football that will unnerve teams like Arsenal, and yeah, quite impressed with them. You know what? One of the things you know, you're talking about Crystal Palace, you're talking about uh, Arsenal. Increasingly, I think in the game, there's too much emphasis on talent. Everyone's looking for talent. Everyone's looking for the lazy asses who can pass the ball but won't do anything you know what work rate the, the teamwork working for you working for you, the, the people around you can can bring you up a level that you can compete against the talented lazies talented lazies I see yeah, I, I, could, I, I, I was just thought of you Roy, I, I couldn't get the words out it's Monday morning <laughs> my brain's running faster than my mouth can um, Ollie, well, one thing that, that struck me about Arsenal, and I saw them in, in midweek against Napoli as well, and, and this might be what perhaps what we refer to when we talk about some of the issues with their squad depth. Um, and we're all aware, obviously, that something happens to Giroud. Bentner has to come on. But also the fact that they just have so many central midfielders. I mean, they destroyed Napoli basically with five central midfielders until Walcott and Podolski comes back. And, and bear in mind, we're talking about Walcott and Podolski. We're not talking about Stanley Matthews, Garincha, and Luis Figo. You know, until those guys come back, they don't really have any natural uh, wide players. Even if they're all fit, is this going to be an issue? I mean, it, clearly when when you have somebody like... like um, like like Ertzel or Ramsey on the wing, they're not going to have the same natural movements or indeed the same pace as as, as a proper wide man, right? Yeah, correct. But I mean, I I thought for uh, an hour yesterday, Wilshire looked completely. Um, off the pace and out of sorts. In so, can I just say, off. so did Jamie Carragher. I don't often watch, I don't often get to watch their analysis, but he absolutely bludgeoned him um, for those who watch it on TV, which from the way you're looking at me might have been only me. I guess you guys were all watching the Times goal app. I was, uh, I was actually there, so I, 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 was, um, I, I, I was about uh, 100 yards away from Carragher, but didn't see him. Right. I, I, was um, at, I was at Carragher Road the, working um, down there. Uh, no, Wilshire was poor for an hour, really poor for an hour, and yet the final half hour he really came into the game and, and the balance seemed right. I, I thought they created an awful lot of openings in, in that final half hour and I, I thought Arsenal were pretty good. I thought it was a pretty decent performance against a very good competitive West Brom team and uh, yes they do lack width but they seem to be finding another play, another way of playing uh, with so much going through us all in the middle that they don't necessarily need width from their sort of wide forwards. If the, if the fullbacks attack, I mean, you, you could look at um, Barcelona's front three, and if it's yeah, been Pedro, Alexis, Via, Iniesta, whoever, they've never had great width in terms of those players, but the width comes from elsewhere, the yeah, fullbacks. I, 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 might, I might respectfully point out, Ollie, that Barcelona have Dani Alves and uh, Jordi well, Alba as their fullbacks, whereas Arsenal have Jenkinson, Sanya I, I, and Gibbs. I thought particularly against, against Napoli, the Arsenal fullbacks were very good getting forward. Yeah. I think the Arsenal fullbacks issue is when they're on the edge of their own box. 
Th- there is, as always, truth in moderation. I, I, th- I suspect with Arsenal that the issue of ha- not having that natural width against teams like West Brom won't be a problem. But even when you take a slight step up to Marseille, who Marseille, as I was in Marseille for the Arsenal game when Wilshire played wide left, and Marseille aren't a great side by any stretch of the imagination, I think they're probably a little bit better than West Brom, maybe not a vast amount. Um, Wilshire basically decided he didn't like playing on the left so he drifted inside and got in Ozil's way and it totally robbed Arsenal who made a very good start of any rhythm throughout the game I suspect against better sides that will be a problem that lack of width the fact that you've got three players there who want to play in the same place um, You mentioned Jack Wilshire and this um, story of, of, of him smoking a, I mean exactly well, we're all adults here but what I found interesting though was well, I think, Rory, you pointed this out about sort of his entourage saying that it was all a part of a prank. And then he... What a terrible prank. Yeah, and the tweet about Zidane. Like, it, well, what a terrible excuse. It's a 14-year-old's excuse, isn't it? You know, I did it for a day. Yeah, yeah. we believe you, Jack. We're stupid. Should he just not say, why don't you all mind your own business? And oh, but you're not allowed to, are you? Does it, I mean, he is, whether he should be or shouldn't be, and the answer to that is he shouldn't be. Footballers are role models, so he ha- he obviously has to come out and public, publicly condemn smoking because that's what kind of a responsible person who lots of kids look at as a, well, as a, as well, a role you know model what, would do. Is Sebastian Coe a role model? Not for me, no. No, no, seriously. Is this is, is Lloyd Coe a role model? Uh, not in the same sense as All right, so yeah. go to Wikipedia, find out about his life, and then put your role model, BS, and I'm not even saying you, but all these people moralize over Jack Wilshire having a cigarette. These are your role models. But, Boris Johnson, yeah, find out about him. Or how many freaking kids does Ken Livingston have, right? These are role models? Well, the thing is... I take it we're cutting this bit. Do, do you, no, we should, we're not do, cutting this bit. Do you want your They're role, not even rock stars. Do you, Sorry. Do you want your role models to lie about what they do? So, like, this is your role model. Like, so Jack Wilshire, he's a role model. When you get caught, lie. I agree that footballers shouldn't be role models, but that is why Wilshire will come out and have done that weird thing. A came up with the excuse that he wasn't smoking it when he, you know, you look at the pictures, he clearly was. That was someone taking a drag and fair play to him. Uh, Then done the weird thing of tweeting the picture of Zidane, who did smoke, one of many footballers who did smoke and do smoke. There's plenty who do. It's, It's fairly not common, but it's not exactly rare. And then denying that he smoked at all. It's just, it, it was a, the whole thing was a massive mess. But I think the, the key point here is that it's not very important. Surprised nobody brought up Garincha having a cigarette as he walked off the pitch at halftime. Socrates smoked, Zidane smoked. There's, there are loads and loads of loads who still do. It's not like, you, I don't want to get in trouble, but I you want, can name loads. Didn't George Best sniff glue before every game? Oh, stop it now. <laughs> My granddad who we should talk about more, Sniff when he was playing for Coventry and Birmingham, had a stake before the game, about an hour before the game, because they felt it made them more manly. And at halftime, the entire team had a coffee and a fag. Okay, but uh, back then, that was in the people 1930s. were unaware of the dangers associated. Yeah, but sure, I, nobody had any idea. They thought all that coughing was normal. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, that, that baffles me slightly. I, they must have felt that it was bad for them. Anyway, smoking in football is not rare, is my point. Do you and smoke I, cigarettes or opium? Cigarettes, opium, just huge joints. The thing about it is uh, it's only in England and only in Britain, really, that, that there'll be such a weird yeah, absolutely. outrage surrounding uh, an athlete or a footballer smoking. It, it's, I mean, obviously, if you smoke 20 a day, then you, that's not going to do your lungs much good. That's not going to make you uh, do wonders for your aerobic capacity. But only in England could a guy be coming out of a nightclub and... Um, with a cigarette in, in his hand and you think well he's probably had a few drinks and we focus on the, 
the cigarettes. I mean, well, I'm not talking about <laughs> no, that, that's it, that, particularly, that is, a, but, but that is an absolutely but brilliant it's, point. It's, and Vendor raised that issue when, he, when it was mentioned to him. He said that, that England is far more sensitive to smoking than other countries. In Macedonia, the Macedonian national team, the boys who were out in Stropia, Ollie was probably there before they played England, whenever it was, was sat in a cafe smoking. It happens, other countries have far less puritanical approaches to it. I would be more concerned if I was Vendor from the fact that Jack Wilshire was, was on a night out in the middle of the week. I know they'd had a day off, but to me, that shouldn't be happening. Right, uh, Tottenham fans, you thought you were getting away with it, but no, this week we actually have three um, games in our, in our Premier League review uh, and, uh, and a briefer debate, because hopefully we will all agree, or at least you'll all agree with me. Um, West Ham, who uh, I don't believe it scored in a way goal this season, uh, go to Spurs, who had only conceded twice all season long, and, um, and win 3-0. Uh, Tony... Explain. Does this mean that statistics are all just lies and horrible predictors of what's going to happen? It means the league's all over the place this year. It means Tottenham made a lot of changes in the summer and haven't bedded down and they're not getting the goals you, you know, you'd, you'd think they would have hoped for. It means that um, it means that Sam outthought uh, AVB and, and Sam is the real football hipster, you know. Well, who knows what it means? Who knows what, what we're going to see this season? I think the way the league is, is we're going to see loads of results like this. We're going to see results that seem to come out of the blue, and everyone will didn't see that coming, and and it can only be good. Actually, you can't really analyse it. Do you want us to make it up and lie? Do you want us to be like Jack Wilshere and say, "Oh, wasn't smoking"? Oh, yes, I'll give you my analysis. It's because West Ham set up as a four-seven-six-five-one. You know what? Some things you just can't explain. Accept it. Uh, hey. I, love, I love the echo we'll on that as well. Next week. <laughs> Roy, do you want to comment on Allardyce's 4 6 0 for, formation? Uh, I do. I want to point out that. I mean, I, I, to be fair to Sam, I don't think he was claiming that it was um, inspired by Spain and Barcelona. I think it was more inspired by Scotland. But uh, to borrow a line from Husey, who wrote about it in the paper today. Um, but I, I, I would point out that playing a false nine when when what you've done is, is you've shoved Mohamed Diame up front isn't really the same thing as playing a false nine. That's playing a midfielder as a striker. But I, I, I thought Allardyce was very, um, was very honest, actually. He said, like, he, he defended in numbers, he didn't have a fit striker, and he said, uh, and I, when he sent runners from midfield. Yeah, that's what you do. When, when Spalletti did it at Roma, he was the genius who had reinvented the feet with the wheel, right? Yeah, he, he, he now, came for a draw and nicked a goal and then got another double. But, but Ali, might I submit to you, though, that... Well, I agree with, with Tony. When you do it as a one-off in a game like this, you, it's a bit different than actually working on the system um, during preseason and, and using it perhaps more frequently, using it in certain situations. I mean, is that the difference between a, a tactical innovation or, or having a tactical plan and just kind of improvising on the day because of injuries? Well, from what I could see, it looked like they, they slightly rotated the, the, the front four and that Vaste spent periods up front and Diame did and, and, and that they seemed to rotate it in that way. I, if we talk about sort of a, a team throwing it together and hoping that it works on the night, then, I mean, isn't that what Mourinho did at Old Trafford in, I don't know if that was, the end of August, when they went there and it was a nil-nil draw and they had um, Schürrle up front and it didn't really work. Uh, and that oh, didn't but- look like it had been particularly worked on obviously it's Manchester United away it's not an easy fixture even now but that that didn't look particularly like it had been worked on and like there was a great understanding of the roles whereas from everything I read and see and hear about about West Ham yesterday that, that 
there did seem to be a, a basic understanding of, of, of what. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The players were meant to be doing when they were the ones selected to go through the middle. And Allardyce, say what you like about him, but when, it, when his teams go onto the pitch, they know what they're doing, they know what their job is, and if it's, if it's something slightly different for a game like this, then you can bet, you, you can bet that they worked on it. Well, in yeah. I'm sure they did work on it, and I agree with you that he's good at executing. But you know, it's not like I'm not suggesting that he just woke up that morning and did it. But obviously, if you've only had one week to prepare for this, it's not going to be uh, the, the same thing. I want, um, to, I want to praise Samuel Adice for something else. Why? I want to praise him for the way that he has re- rehabilitated Ravel Morrison to the point where he might actually become quite a good professional footballer. I think he deserves immense credit for that. Well, Allardyce says that he deserves no credit for it, and it was all down to Ravel, and uh, he had to be the one willing to help himself, which makes him even more charitable in my mind. It does, and you, you can't praise Moyes, say, for using Adnan Yanazai as a youngster and entrusting to the youngster, and then then allow Allardyce to say, well, it's nothing to do with me, Grove, it's entirely Ravel. I think he deserves a huge amount of credit for, for trusting in Morrison, for t- for seeing the potential, for seeing that he could come through his difficulties and trusting him this season. For, for those who are unfamiliar with Ravel Morrison, because not everybody might know the, the, the story, obviously his background is a very gifted player at Manchester United. He got into some very serious legal trouble involving, and again, with this weirdo legal system you have. Tony, I'm sure you're more familiar with libel laws. Please interrupt me if I say something that I shouldn't be saying. But uh, he was accused of intimidating a witness. Is that right? Yeah, you're allowed to say that. Okay. Yep. I, I just never quite know because, you know, I'm, I'm worried that, you know, Chief Justice Tugging Hat, whatever the hell his name is, might come might come after me. And Lord, Justice, might... Lord Justice K. If you, right. if, you, if you say he killed a man in a bar fight, you'll probably get into trouble. Okay. But right. not this. He didn't do that. Unless he did. Unless, of course, he did. So, yeah. which can we just make sure, make sure people yeah. are clear on this? For the avoidance Ravel of Morris, doubt, Morrison did not, as far as we know, kill a man in a bar fight. Now, um, if, if he did it, if he did intimidate the witnesses, there not obvious possibility that he did it for a prank. <laughs> <laughs> 
I almost wonder if maybe he shouldn't have gone out and intimidated uh, the the witnesses who um, who basically ratted Jack Wilshire out. And that might have been uh, that might have been a more no, positive thing to do. But that was a classic. That was a classic tabloid. An onlooker said, by which they mean the paparazzi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but about Morrison's goal, um, I think on TV they said, "Oh, shades of Michael Owen." Um, now. Argentina defended better, I, I thought, against Owen than uh, than Fertong and, and and especially Dawson. Um, what what was going through Dawson's mind when he did that? Well, exactly. And I mean, you know, let's not get carried away with either uh, Ravel Morrison or a Manchester United player whose name I can't pronounce. You know what? You, you have you have good days. And Ashley let, Young. Let, let, let's see how it goes. Yeah, Ashley Young. Let's see how it goes over the course of a season, and let's see if we're still talking about them this time. Right. Next year. That is absolutely true. And I would also like to add that with Ravel Morrison, there is this there is this temptation that whenever anyone scores a goal that involves running from their own half, that it's compared to either Michael Owen or George Weir against Verona. There is a big difference in sprinting unchallenged from your own half, which is a fine yeah. feat of athleticism that I couldn't do, to beating an entire team of yeah, players. It, 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 it is, I mean, hey, Ollie, I, I know we, 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 we can mark, we can be patient. I get excited because the guy looks good, because he's elegant, because he's balanced. It is also true that Dawson didn't defend at all, and for Tongans, who's one of the slower center halves in the, in the Premier League, um, you know, that's the guy he was outrunning, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't, it, as I always said, it, it wasn't, you know, Diego Maradona in, in the Aztec in 1986. It wasn't that kind of goal. It was it was a goal where he, you know, he, he sprinted away from somebody and then he got around somebody and he did it all very well and, and finished nicely. Um, but I, I, I would be, I mean, pe- people shouldn't obsess about Morrison's goal. I think people should look at the type of player he is, which is uh, composed, precise, uh, well balanced, intelligent, um, on the ball that is, on the pitch that is, um, and and say that you know he is exactly the type of player that English football for years didn't produce, and there are now these players such as Wilshire, such as Barkley, such as Morrison, who are more elegant, more composed on the ball, and seem to be more conducive to the sort of passing game that that um, we've all been saying England can't play. All right, before it's that, just, that to me is the encouraging thing with, with him. It's, I, I wouldn't get carried away about the goal, but his his performances generally, and you could tell right from the first League Cup game he played for Man United and, and in the youth team and, and so on that he is an extremely good footballer. Now, our debate this week will hopefully be a little bit open and shut because I'm assuming that we're all in agreement with the first part of the debate. Um, Adnan Yanezai, um, we've seen him several times. We first saw him, I mean, I at least first saw him in the Charity Shield because unlike Ollie, I don't snoop around Manchester United uh, uh, youth ga- uh, games. But um, he looks really good. He scored two goals this weekend. And now they have this issue out of the blue where David Moyes comes out and says, well, the FA have been in touch about uh, naturalizing him. And, you know, when he because he, he, he the, the, the kid is Belgian, born in Belgium, raised in Belgium of Albanian uh, Kosovo descent. And he hasn't played for anybody internationally. So theoretically, he could be naturalized as English and two and a half years time and Roy Hodgson asked about this on Match of the Day comes out and says well when the time comes we'll consider it anybody think that leaving aside the footballing perspective that from an ethical perspective there is any reason whatsoever to even consider naturalizing this guy no but 
I think at the same time, it's important to distinguish between a case like that and a case like Berahino for the under-21s, who came to England as a political refugee in, at the age of 10. I think in that case, it's fine. I think if you import a kid to a Premier League club's youth academy because he's good, solely because he's, of his footballing okay. ability, okay. to naturalise him is, is completely unethical. So, so, so we're, we're, we're basically in agreement that we there's a difference between somebody yeah. who's come here as a political refugee when he was nine and somebody who's simply come here because Manchester United came and took yeah. him from his club at 16 and Exactly. A big water money, okay, which should good. be outlawed under international law anyway. But yes, yeah. All right. So nobody's in favour of naturalising Yanazai. No, no. I think it would be. You I all hate it, England. No. I think it would be a massive confession of weakness. Ollie, is this Zola Bud? I, I, I would struggle to remember what um, what age Zola Bud was, but she was. Uh, yeah, that, it, it's, it, the, the point is really that in other sports there seems to be far less. Um, Moralizing about about this type of thing. I mean, because those are other less like, serious minority sports. Well, less serious sports and, and and sports where there seems to be this um, belief that we Britain should do everything we can to um, to take um, you know to, to maximise chances of getting as many gold medals as possible. I mean, there was this sort of plastic Brits um, debate. Um, going into the last Olympics now some people would call Berahino a plastic Brit I certainly wouldn't um, some people would call Yanazai a, um, a, a a potential plastic Brit and I think that's a different um, a different one but then I think this where, where this debate has real merit is, is we've seen people like Victor Moses um, who were eligible to play for England? Very similar situation to um, to Berahino, where he came over at eleven, I think, um, and was rec- was eligible to play for England. And England were too slow off the mark. And by the time he he um, wanted to, to to commit to somebody, he was already sort of in the Nigeria fold, and, and England had been slow. And the the FA, I mean, I was speaking to somebody from the FA this morning about this whole issue, and the view is that they need to be. A whole lot more proactive about this because they they've been slow off the mark. They've been reactive, if that. Um, and they're seeing other countries, including Spain, adopt players, and and England, who arguably can not afford to do that, um, are missing out on players. And it, that's, it's, that's I, I feel that all, although Yanazai y- and, and those who are sort of imported into Premier League academies because they're good, I think that is a different case. But I, I, I feel that the FA and England need to be pushing the boundaries further with this dual nationality thing because I mean Lewis Holtby's another they they, they didn't even Lewis Holtby's make dad a move for him until he was from Liverpool. captain of the. Well, yeah, he was captain well, of the Germany under twenty one team. By the yeah. time anyone from the FA, um, okay, but, but but I'm sorry, but, 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 but this is part of the reason why I have a problem with Alex Horn, and or maybe it wasn't him who you spoke to. I suspect it probably was, but I, I certainly not. Okay, there we go. It's definitely not Alex. Horn. What kind of muddled up thinking is this? If you're going to go scour for people who have English roots and who might have fallen through the roof, through the cracks or whatever, it's one thing. But Adam Yanazai is a completely different case. Beyond the fact that his contract's up at the end of the season, and for all you know, he could be living somewhere else in, in, in nine months' time, I mean, what the hell are you doing? Well, there's the problem. The Premier League academies are important kids of very young ages from all over the world, from Brazil. And, and, and this, you know, the FA uh, slow off the mark and reactive. No, surely not the FA. But, like, you've got a situation, you hear a Brazilian kid comes over, he's at an academy, all of a sudden he looks good at 17 or 18. Oh, yeah, let's try and make him naturalise. It's crap. I think, wrong. I think it's important because I understand where, where Ollie's coming from and other countries, it's true, have 
do not have quite the same kind of ethical principles, or whatever it is, as the FA seem to be claiming. Johnny Foreigner. Well, no, no, no. Because you look at Marcos, Marcos Senna. Marcos Senna was not Spanish, but they naturalised him and he, and he won Euro 2008 with them. But, yeah, but, sorry, but there are, can, can I just say, uh, other than Spain, what other countries are you thinking of? Well, I think you could make a case uh, off the top of my head. The French 98 and 2000 squad was full of players. A lot of those players weren't born in France. Right, but the, the, they were virtually, they were all raised. Well, no, but this is the point I want to make. That's the difference. No, no, but excuse me. But there's, there's a distinction, and I'm sorry, and I know these are going but I think it's important to remind ourselves of the rules, okay? Uh, the, every country has their own naturalization rules, right? Yep. Qatar decided a few years ago that, yep. oh, we'll just uh, say, we'll just give passports to whoever we like and pay them to come. And that's why Ailton became Qatari for a way, and then FIFA decided to, to, to cut it out. And then, broadly speaking, they, they've they've accepted that you can be naturalized obviously based on grandparents or parents or you can be naturalized based on residency and every I mean rules vary slightly from country to country but in England in England it's it's five it's five years right on top of that the FA together with the other home nations over issues such as David Johnson and Manuel and Mooney and so on decided to adopt a gentleman's agreement where they said that they wouldn't naturalize anybody unless they'd had five years schooling before the age of 18 in any one of those territories, right? So it would have meant, for example, Michael Owen could have theoretically played for Wales if he'd wanted to. But this is the weird thing, right? Having signed to this gentleman's agreement, um, now it's just all going out the window because, look, we can sign genocide. Well, so that's, that's what I was going to say. That Ollie's right to an extent... But the, the case, the, 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 there's a huge amount of difference in all of these cases. So Holtby has English blood, so that's fine. That's different. If you look at countries like Switzerland, where Granit Xhaka and Sjordan Shakiri, who are both Kosovar Albanian, are playing for them, they arrived as political refugees again. They came to the country and have residency there for reasons other than football. When you start, that's fine. I yeah, that's fine. That. Exactly. Nobody has a problem with that. So there, there, these circumstances are all different. What England are now talking about, and I agree, it's contrary to this agreement, is basically. It's a form of trafficking to bring the kids in. It's what it's what Qatar mm. wanted to do, to bring the kids in younger and turn them into 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 English people purely to their ability, and that is is deeply deeply unethical. Mm. That's the problem. That's where the, where it becomes very unsettling to to try and do that. So, Ollie, do you agree it's unethical? Are you going to get on on Dyke's rear end and be like, "Hey, Greg, this is kind of stupid." He's <laughs> um, such a man of the people, right? That, that's a weird image. I, I would say that y- y- Yanazai would be a case too far for me because he, because there's nothing about him that's that's English, and he would be having to be sort of parked up, um, rejecting other countries to which which have a more uh, stronger claim to him um, in order to become eligible for England potentially in the future. There was, but, I mean. Germany did it with, with the boy Cacao, didn't they? About okay. 10 years ago. I'm glad you no, mentioned ten, Cacao, right? Because I'm, I'm sure the FA are going to put out Cacao, so I just want to settle the, uh, the, the facts on Cacao. Cacao came to Germany when he was 19 years old. He was not a political refugee. He was an economic migrant. He played for an amateur side. He lived after nine years in Germany. He was naturalized, and then he played a few times with the German national team. I think that's a different situation. Well, I know it is a different situation, but it's it's similar to the kind of Almunia, um, Arteta, uh, Arteta type. Well, slightly, no, no, I, I'd say it's different which, because which no, no, hang on, hang on, Ollie, but it's different because Almunia and Arteta were millionaire footballers before they came here. Um, well, I, I, Cacao Al- was Almunia, a guy who moved Al- to Germany for non-footballing reasons. Almunia was well, a professional Almunia. footballer playing in the in playing for Celta in the Spanish first division. He even played in the in the Champions League. He was like what twenty two, twenty three when he came over. 
Yeah, but he, but he wasn't a superstar who, who you know, he wasn't the sort of superstar player that was being groomed to become English. He's a player who, after a certain period of England, of playing in England, he would have become eligible to play for England and wasn't eligible to, you know, and wasn't wanted by his country of birth. So we're looking at the same, you know, it's the same ballpark, isn't it? But I, I, I just find it quite laughable, really, that, that England as a football nation should be um, more resistant to this, um, to this idea when we're sort of uh, less interested in English identity in almost every other respect of football, not least recruiting foreign managers. Which other, which other major football nation, if we can still call ourselves that, um, employs foreign managers? For Egypt. In which other English, which other major um, football nations are, are sort of dominated by foreign owners? It, it's 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 a very strange sort of. Um, Moralizing that, that that we have in England, where I, I think nationality is becoming so blurred, and yet you would still find you would still hear people saying, "Well, it's a good job, you know, it's a good job England didn't go for Victor Moses because he's not English; he's Nigerian." Okay. Well, I, I, England had a had a great right to uh, to go for Victor Moses and Lewis Holtby and people like that, and they didn't go for it. And I, I'd say those are the cases I I, I regret rather than. Um, rather than uh, obsessing about Yanazai. I think that's an excellent point about managers and I, I personally would say that having a foreign manager is cheating because your national your national side represents the strength of your nation and the manager is a key part of that. I don't see why it's separate. The other thing I'd like to say, on Match of the Day, Roy Hodgson obviously was on Match of the Day, Alan Shearer, they were talking about the Yanazai issue and Alan Shearer said maybe you know he would want to you know play for the, for the best possible team at international level. That is an absolutely appalling view of international football. If if international football becomes that, where people can pick and choose who they play for because they're the best team, there is no point in it. We should abolish it. United get all three points at Sunderland, thanks to Adnan Yanazai, who we've just discussed. But for most of the game, they serve up another stinker. Tony, how much of this is David Moyes' fault? Uh, very little, I would have thought. Um, blame the Glazers, blame the Glazers. Yeah, blame the Glazers. You know what? This has been building for since the Glazers took over in 2005. You know, $680 million has gone out of the club on um, on, on interest payments and on, um, and on servicing the loans. If that would have been put on players... Then I mean, how much of a different situation would they be in? Um, and Alex Ferguson, is in, in part, facilitated that because he was a genius and he made an inferior squad perform significantly better than they should have. And Moyes has got the poison chalice, and you know he, he needs a bit of time, but uh, it doesn't look great. There you go, Sir Alex. It's your fault because you were just too good, and that's a Liverpool fan saying that. Harry Redknapp has a new book out, and uh, he reveals something that I'm told Matt Dickinson revealed uh, some 18 months ago which is that he was sure that he was going to get the England job and he was going to appoint Brendan Rodgers as his assistant. Now, personally, why a man from Northern Ireland would have wanted to be Harry Redknapp's assistant with England when he could go and manage uh, Liverpool is something that's a bit difficult for me to understand. But, hey, Ollie, perhaps you've got better insight than I do. Give me an alternative history of England with Harry and Brendan Rodgers as a managerial dream team. I think probably if you envisage an alternative England under Redknapp, would they have perhaps won one and lost one out of the two dower draws would they have perhaps been a little bit too open in Ukraine and got beaten would they have won away to Poland I think it would be that kind of thing I think it would be um, better to watch um, more seats of the pants and, and perhaps lose more games um, but I think they'd be 
roughly in the same place, but maybe would be more fun to watch. So Redknapp, Hodgson, much of a muchness. There. I'll leave it up to you to decide whether they are equally good or equally bad. Manchester City get all three points against Everton and rediscover some guy named David Silva who I thought had disappeared. Uh, Rory, where was he hiding? And uh, is there a place for him in Pellegrini's best 11? He was hiding in a hollowed out volcano in the South China Sea, uh, plotting a takeover of the world. He's been injured, Gab. He's struggled with injury. Where do you think he's been? Um, whether there's a place whether whether there's a place for him in the team though is a very interesting question because I think he slows down City's play David Silva's one of those people that we all love watching play he's brilliant to watch but he's not been as effective the last two years as he was in his first season and at the moment I'm not sure whether City functions slightly better without him although he did play very well against Everton Roberto Martinez though is unhappy and he feels referee John Moss gave City a very soft penalty that would have changed the game indeed uh, Martinez came out and went so far as say that Moss killed the game. Um, Tony, is he right? And given that we all have this warm and fuzzy love Roberto Martinez feeling right now, should he really be having pops at referees? Well, you know, I think he should be having a pop at his player who not only leans in, puts his arm and, and actually makes contact with the, the forwards. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a penalty. You're contradicting Roberto Martinez. Yeah, I'm contradicting R- Roberto Martinez. And I'm also probably, I probably contradict him on his, on his genius as a football manager as well. Um, Everton have had a good start. So let's see if it continues. Oh, we have an England question. So a good thing Ollie's here. Uh, two home games, two wins, and you're home free, right? Is Hart Roy Hodgson's biggest concern when it comes to England right now? I think he's one of the concerns because he's he's not you know he, he's he's letting a few dodgy goals recently, but I don't think he's the weak link in this team. I think the weak link is perhaps the. Uh, the back four, um, even though their defensive record has been good, I, th- I think they, they, they always look vulnerable at Wembley to um, to intelligent counter-attacking teams, two of which they're just about to face. They also often look um, very careless and nervous in possession. So um, I, I think there are numerous concerns. I, th- I think England will scrape through, but I'm concerned about various things and, and Hart is just one of them. Chelsea win at Carroll Road with some help from England. Back up John Ruddy. Rory, Ruddy aside, give me three good things Mourinho can take from this game. Uh, Denver Bar did okay, which suggests he's got another option up front, which I suppose is a, is a positive, uh, a more physical presence uh, than either Eto or Torres. Um, Chelsea won, which they didn't look like they were going to as Norwich, to be honest, kind of slaughtered them a little bit for most of the second half. Uh, so the, I suppose one positive is that the game is over and Chelsea have won it. And what else? Uh, Mata and Oscar, I suppose, sort of dovetailing quite nicely, looking like they might be able to link up in a Mourinho system. That was a positive. It was it was a, a good three points for Chelsea. That does Norwich were very impressive, uh, particularly kind of the middle thirty minutes of the game. So we should give credit for to Mourinho for having his, getting his message to Mata and having Mata. Yeah, and also board. to be fair, his, his proactive substitutions—the fact that they tossed seventy million quid between and probably helped—but he he did make atta- attacking substitutions, and that's always nice to see. Gab, I've got a question for you. It's very exciting. Uh, Bayern Munich and Bayern Leverkusen in the Bundesliga. A chance for my close personal friend Sammy Huppier to make what make the uh, the title race there. What Vince McMahon would refer to as a three-way dance. Uh, how did he do? Uh, well, he got a point, and they. Celebrated at the final whistle as if they'd uh, won the Champions League. It means that there's still one point behind uh, uh, Bayern Munich uh, at the top of the table, and it's even better because Borussia Dortmund lost to Borussia Mönchengladbach. But Bayern Leverkusen play awful football. I, 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 
I've watched them like six times this year. It's one thing to play direct football. It's another thing to have like four guys at the back, this giant called Reinhardt's in midfield, uh, kicking everything in sight, Bender doing his thing, and then uh, uh, and, and, and basically just lumping balls to Kiesling. This was one of the most one-sided games. Bayern Munich had 78% possession. They had 27 shots on goal. Um, they could have killed this game earlier. I was so disappointed with Bayer Leverkusen at home. I'm not against direct football, but there's got to be some rhyme or reason to it, some support. And I, I don't know. I mean, I know Hoppy is a nice guy, but goodness me, he's got to do better. All right, that's all we've got time for uh, right now. But you can come see us live in Birmingham and then later on in Newcastle. where Maybe you'll even meet George Calkin and you know, he'll post some pictures for you. And uh, later on, of course, in Manchester as well. The links are on Twitter. They're on our SoundCloud page. Um, Rory, I'm told, and this is Skinner Scripps, so it must be true, will even read some of the self-penned poetry he writes in Spanish, mostly odes to Marcelo Bielsa and Luis Suarez. Uh, and, of course, strictly uh, written in Rio Platense Spanish. Until um, next time, thanks to my guests, Ollie Kay, Tony Evans, and of course, Rory K. Smith. Bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.